0: Hello, this is Marissa Schaefer, and I'm here with Dancewell Podcast. Back in episode six, my co-host, Ellie, spoke to physical therapist Jessica Lassiter about joint hypermobility. Joint hypermobility, whether it affects few or many joints, falls under the umbrella of hypermobility disorders. Today we bring on an extraordinarily knowledgeable guest, Dr. Linda Bluestein, to discuss Ehlers-Danlos syndrome or EDS, which is also under the umbrella of hypermobility disorders but has some important additional characteristics. Dr. Bluestein joins us to p- paint a broad clinical picture of those with EDS, to discuss some of the medical aspects of the syndrome, and to help clinicians and patients alike with resources to build a support system for those with this diagnosis. Former ballet dancer and board certified anesthesiologist Dr. Linda Bluestein is a highly sought after international and invited speaker and is at the forefront of research on pain, hypermobility, and dance medicine. She completed her anesthesiology residency at the Mayo Graduate School of Medicine after receiving her medical degree from the University of California, Los Angeles School of Medicine. She has written and lectured extensively on topics of pain neuroscience, chronic pain, and hypermobility disorders. She is a member of the clinical faculty at the Medical College of Wisconsin, Central Wisconsin, where she also serves as the course director for the RISHI Healers Program. Additionally, she serves as the nonprofit organization EDS Awareness's physician director, as well as the organization's volunteer medical consultant. She is the founder and host of the podcast Bendy Bodies with the Hypermobility MD. Founded and is a former co-host of the podcast Hypermobility Happy Hour, and is a contributing author for the book Disjointed, a book about hypermobile EDS slash HSD, coming out in early 2020. More information about Dr. Bluestein can be found on her website at www.mobilitymd.com. Buckle your seatbelts. On this episode, Nutrition, Life Coach, Dance and Performance, Psychological screen. And today you are in for a treat. Hi. Hello. This is Ellie Kushner. And this is Marissa Schaefer from Dancewell Podcast. Dancewell Podcast. Hello, Dr. Bluestein, and welcome to Dancewell Podcast. Hello. How are you, Marisa? Thank you so much for having me. I'm doing well. Um, we are joining each other from across the country, so I appreciate you. I'm um, <laughs> dealing with the time zones. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, okay, Dr. Bluestein is here today to talk to us. Um, a little bit about EDS. Um, She'll tell you a little bit about what that is. Um, We had a episode back in episode six with Jessica Lassiter, who talked a little bit about hypermobility um, in terms of like general joint hypermobility and local and peripheral joint hypermobility. Um, But we're going to talk about um, a, a different a, a different condition under that umbrella of hypermobili- hypermobility uh, syndromes. Am I am I right in saying that, Doctor Bluestein?
1: Y- yes, I try to think of it as as an umbrella under which all of these various different hypermobility disorders exist. Exactly. Absolutely. So um,
0: we're going to go more towards the EDS spectrum. Um, So Dr. Bluestein, can you start off by telling us um, or by painting us a picture, a broad clinical picture of those with EDS? Like what are some of the symptoms and other manifestations that these individuals present with?
1: Sure. So the... um, So EDS stands for Ehlers-Danlos syndromes, and in 2017, the criteria and the definitions of the different categories were uh, quite dramatically changed, and this is still in flux. So I tend to think of this as, um, like you said, about the broad clinical picture and what are the things that these things have in common, and when I'm treating patients, of course, I need to think more about what specific type that they may have. Or if they have it at all, and how to how to treat that. But for the purposes of the podcast, it's just helpful to think about what are the um, what are the different things that tie these together. So, EDS Ehlers Danlos syndromes is a type of connective tissue disorders, and they have three things that are generally present in these um, this group of patients. And the first one is joint hypermobility, and hypermobility just means greater than average range of motion of a joint. But for these patients, it depends on the type of EDS that they might have. But in general, they have more joints that are hypermobile than you had mentioned about it back in episode six and talking about localized, peripheral, et cetera. Um, people that have one of these types of EDS often will have many more joints that are hypermobile. So, so that's the first thing is joint hypermobility. The second thing is people will have um, abnormal skin, so they might have abnormal scarring. They might have stretch marks when you wouldn't really expect to have stretch marks. And they also, the third thing is fragile tissues. So their their skin might, um, you know, tear more easily than would be expected otherwise. And those are the the those three things are the things that occur with any type of connective tissue disorder. And EDS is just one kind of connective tissue disorder. Um, I also tend to think of the clinical picture as divided into two parts: mm-hmm. the musculoskeletal part and the non-musculoskeletal part, because the musculoskeletal part is so significant. So people that have EDS, and this is really important for dancers, because we know that the joint hypermobility lends itself to the aesthetics, especially in classical ballet. So dancers uh, have a higher prevalence of these disorders than in the general population. And even compared to other things like gymnasts and other, you know, aerialists, other types of um, flexibility athletes, but so that musculoskeletal things that we see are that they get injured more easily, that they take longer to recover from injuries. Um, They'll have things like, um, you know, more tendon injuries, um, bursitis, Um, they might have more back pain. Uh, some of the other things that you might see are that they might have um, dislocations and subluxations. So those are where the joint is no longer in proper alignment. So so those are kind of the main musculoskeletal things that we see. In terms of the non-musculoskeletal things that we see, um, I mentioned the skin abnormalities with the abnormal scarring, stretch stretch marks, and um The uh, also the like loose skin, loose and stretchy skin. Um, We also see uh, more depression, anxiety. That's more common. Um, There's also a higher incidence of ADHD, things like that. Um, We also know that there's more easy bruising, um, more fatigue and sleep disorders, which are more common in the general population now than I think than they used to be. But in this group of people, they tend to be even more common yet. Um, things like dental crowding. Um, and you also see with the weakness of of the connective tissues, more hernias, pelvic floor problems like vaginal or uterine prolapse. Um, and those are you know some of the things that are most commonly seen.
0: So I want to take a second to like be careful to delineate this from. Um, the opposite end of the spectrum, again, going back to like what we discussed in episode six, um, because as you're going down this list of non-musculoskeletal things like depression, anxiety, ADHD, um, fatigue, uh, bruising, I'm like, I'm thinking about, um, you know, a whole bunch of dancers who don't necessarily have EDS, but who experience these things. Um, So, you know, I want to be careful to delineate the two. um, And maybe we can take a second to do that. And then also um, make sure that for those of us listening, don't have that like a medical
1: student syndrome where you're like, oh, my God, I have all of that. (laughs) Right, right, right. Absolutely. I'm really glad that you pointed that out. That is one of the challenges because one of the other things on the non-musculoskeletal list is myopia. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, when you need, you know, um, corrective uh, glasses to, in order to see at distances. And that's, of course, extremely common in the general population. Sure. So, so these are things, a lot of these things are things that are really super common, but we just believe that there's that they are more common in people that have these connective tissue problems than in people that don't. But you're absolutely right. The ones that are less specific are less helpful than the ones that are more specific. Like, literally, you can look at the, people's skin and you can look at um, if they've had a surgery or something like that, look at an incision, and and that's a pretty good indicator. The skin is a pretty good window into the body. Sure. So that's, so that's a pretty good way of, of looking at it. It's kind of, you know, you start to put a whole bunch of things together and, and look at the criteria. Again, the joint hypermobility combined with, you know, things like the, like the dental crowding, there's this thing called blue sclera, which is where like the white part of the eye has kind of like a bluish tint to it. Um, uh, piezogenic papules, which are like little outpouchings of fat along the heels, um, things like flat feet. You know, again, some of these things are more common than others. It mm-hmm. does; it is something that you definitely want to. If you have any concern, see a medical professional. Don't panic at all, right. because there are so many things that can be done, and that's, of course, why we're doing this podcast. Yeah, right. Is yeah to help educate people. These things are much more common in the population than people, uh, yes. most people realize, mm-hmm. but. But most of the subtypes of EDS are super, super rare. Mm -hmm. Um, When you get on to the end of joint hypermobility, but not EDS, but maybe some of the other things like poor sleep or fatigue, you know, that's going to be quite common. And so it's, yes, I appreciate you pointing that out. That's an important clarification.
0: (laughs) Um, The other thing is um, just for those of us who are dancers who are listening, you keep talking about this being um, disorders of connective tissues. Can you tell us where connective tissues are in our body?
1: Yes, definitely. So connective tissue, there's only actually four types of tissues in the body Mm -hmm. and connective tissue is one of those four types and it is present everywhere. So that's the other reason why when people have disorders of connective tissue, they will have a lot of different types of symptoms. And a lot of my patients have had problems throughout their entire life, you know, starting in early childhood. And so there's a saying that if you can't connect the issues, think connective tissues. Mm -hmm. Um, we, We think that the reason why, you know, people that have these problems might have Um, difficulty with upright posture because their blood kind of pools into their legs. And so they get dizziness and lightheaded and things like that. Um, Connective tissue is in your most commonly, we think of it in in things like ligaments and tendons and uh, muscles and places like that. But it also is in blood vessels. And of course, in your skin, as I already mentioned, Mm -hmm. um, it is in, uh, you know, many, many different places in your body.
0: Great. Thank you very much. Um, So that kind of actually is a nice segue into um, what we were going to go into next, which is kind of unpacking some of the medical aspects of EDS and some of the medical things that kind of pop up um, in addition to the musculoskeletal and non-musculoskeletal things that you brought up. So can you you give us like a broad overview first of the um, medical aspects that pop up and then we'll kind of go in one by one to unpack each?
1: Sure. So there are some, are you talking about the conditions that kind of overlap
0: with, with EDS?
1: Uh, yeah, like the um,
0: sure. mass cell activation. Mass,
1: yes. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Perfect. So, so I tend to think of EDS, the EDS part as being more musculoskeletal pain um, and, and kind of, I think of like the princess and the pea mm-hmm. because our bodies, when we have EDS, our bodies get really super sensitized. So I I like to think of visualizations for for these things. So I think of the princess and the pea when it comes to the EDS part. Mm -hmm. And then there's this other kind of group of conditions um, called dysautonomia, Mm -hmm. which is where the autonomic nervous system is um, dysfunctional or having difficulty. And I think of that, I think of the um, pictures of like the, you know, early, early man that was on all fours and then gradually going to upright posture. Yes. And, and people who have those have difficulty with upright posture and regulating their autonomic nervous system. And then the other part, the mast cell activation syndromes, I think of that as like the boy in the plastic bubble. Now I'm probably dating myself (laughs) Um, because a lot of people are going to be going, the boy in the plastic bubble, what's that? (laughs) And so they'll have to Google it to see what it was. Um, But but I think of those three images and when I presented this at Healthy Dancer Canada, um, however long ago that was, those those are the three pictures that I used to help people kind of conceptualize these three conditions that we know tend to travel together and we don't necessarily know completely why. Um, but, but that may kind of help for just a general overview.
0: Great. So we have the the trouble with the os- upright posture, the boy in the bubble, and remind me the third
1: thing one more time. <laughs> the princess and the pea. The princess <laughs> and the pea, and that's the musculoskeletal. Right, that's the that's the musculoskeletal the EDS part. Um, yep, yeah, the, and the sensitized nervous system where you can feel the pea right. all the way underneath all those mattresses.
0: <laughs> Great. Um, okay, so let's let's um, let's unpack the uh, the dysautonomia part. The um, trouble with the
1: upright posture, the portion on all fours. <laughs> okay. Okay. So, so again, um, dysautonomia just means dysfunction of the autonomic nervous system and the autonomic nervous system is the, the two branches of our nervous system that basically are in constant ebb and flow with each other, regulating our digestion, our heart rate, our blood pressure, um, our pupillary dilation, um, sweating, Um, and, and things like that. And a good way to think about this is if you get in, if you almost get into a car accident Mm -hmm. and you feel your heart race and you just, you can just immediately feel your body change. That's because you just released a whole bunch of, um, you know, mediators, neurotransmitters that caused your sympathetic nervous system to be activated. So your sympathetic nervous system is fight, flight, or freeze. And your parasympathetic nervous system is rest, digest and restore. Mm -hmm. So when those two are not, when they're having difficulty balancing with each other, that's when you get these dysautonomia type symptoms and people get things like palpitations. They'll have difficulty, like I said, with upright posture. They get lightheaded when they go from sitting to standing. They'll feel like they're going to pass out. Sometimes they do pass out, although that's fairly rare, actually. Mm -hmm. The sleep problems can be related to this because while people are sleeping, their heart rate can go, you know, really kind of out of whack. And that can actually cause them to wake up. But they wake up for such a brief period of time that they're not aware of the fact that they woke up. But when they wake up in the morning, they just feel exhausted because they didn't really get. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yep. Um, they'll have hot and cold intolerance and um, things like abnormal sweating because they don't, they're not able to, um, you know, uh, sweat properly and then vasoconstrict in order to retain heat. So um, so those are some of the things that we see with those um, types of conditions.
0: Um, and is that, I mean, so if they're kind of, in flux with one another, part of me thinks, in my non-medicalness, um, <laughs> that that might be really hard to treat. Is that true, or is there are there medical interventions?
1: So, so it is hard. They are hard to treat. However, there are definitely lots of things that we can do, and one of the things that is actually really really helpful is retraining the parasympathetic nervous system. Mm-hmm. We know that we know that as people go through puberty. And in early teenage years, that they can go through a period where this kind of happens to almost everybody. Mm -hmm. Um, But most of us can regain that control again, and and we just go through kind of a more difficult phase, but then we're okay. Okay. But for some people, it can happen at that time or at a different time. Sometimes it's a post-viral thing, actually. Hmm. So it's interesting we're having this conversation during the middle of, you know, coronavirus Uh, Mm -hmm. because, because a lot of people have had this happen after they've had um, influenza, for example. Mm -hmm. And um, so it's something that, that actually happens if you take a perfectly healthy person and you make them be in bed for a week or you take astronauts and you put them at zero gravity, then their autonomic nervous system also will have, will have difficulty and, oftentimes they can, you know, recover that function um, just, just fine. But it is, it is definitely a challenging thing to treat, but the sooner we can get a handle on it, the better, which is part of why I really like doing things like this. I'm so excited to be chatting with you today because um, you have such a fantastic podcast that Thanks. you're doing. You've reached, <laughs> yeah, you reach so many people and it's so important for people to know what are some of the you know, kind of early strategies that you can do, and one of them, believe it or not, mm-hmm. is actually learning mindful, uh, mindful techniques, mindfulness mm. techniques. Nice. Because when we do things like that, we learn to engage that rest, digest, and restore mm-hmm. part of our nervous system. And a lot of people misunderstand advice like that from their doctor to mean, oh, you think it's in my head. Right. Well, if your doctor only has five minutes to visit with you, then, of course, they don't really have the time to explain that to you because they have to address all these other things. Right. But um, in a setting like this, I can actually take a few more minutes and explain <laughs> that, yes, yes, and explain that, you know, first of all, no one is going to overdose on mindfulness. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, we, so we don't need to worry about it from that standpoint. And and it's super beneficial because it if we learn during the day while we're awake if we learn these valuable skills to um, engage our brain in this kind of a way, then when we're going to sleep or we have these micro arousals at night, we are more likely to be able to get back into a place where we can uh, fall back to sleep. Hmm. And it's important to remember that the connection between the mind and the body is physiologic. Yes. So people often, again, misunderstand that part of it. And it's so fascinating to me to look at the research on this because, for example, Buddhist monks, when you look at their brains, they actually change. You know, mm-hmm. you look at like functional MRIs, they can actually, they've actually changed their brains because of all this meditation that they're doing. Right. So, so these are really just great strategies that you're not going to hurt yourself by doing these things. So, um, if you suspect that you may have one of these disorders or somebody that you know does, um, that's – the Mayo Clinic has done some research on this and it has actually some great data that these – that that type of strategy can be very beneficial. Awesome. Um, yeah.
0: It's just like training a habit. Um, exactly. I, I wonder though if you can just unpack like what you mean by um, – um, it's not just physiologic, a.k.a. like, oh – you're saying like it's not just because I'm crazy that I'm feeling this way can you <laughs> can you discuss that a little bit
1: more? Sure so when we get um, you know anxious what we, what we end up doing is we end up secreting hormones from our adrenal glands, which are those little glands that sit on top of the kidneys and they have physiologic effects throughout throughout our body and that is kind of a vicious cycle that then will Uh, you know, cause us to get more and more anxious. And sometimes anxiety comes from some um, physiologic processes, but there's always some um, cognitive type component that we can at least try to engage, you know, logic, more logical thinking. We can try to, um, you know, challenge our beliefs. When we start getting anxious Mm -hmm. and we start thinking about uh, like, again, right now we're in the middle of all this coronavirus craziness, which is probably increasing a lot of people's anxiety. Mm -hmm. Mindfulness is so helpful because the base of that is bringing yourself back to where am I right now at this very moment in time. And if we even just reconnect with our bodies and think, okay, I'm sitting in a chair. I can feel the chair contacting with my body. I can feel, you know, you, you connect with your senses mm-hmm. and bring yourself back into the present moment that will actually have physiologic effects on your body that will start to calm your nervous system. Right. Whereas when we do the opposite, when we, when we ruminate and we think, what if, what if, what if, right? you know, it, yeah. So it's, um, it's challenging. It's hard. I mean, right. I, you know, it's it anxiety we know occurs very, very commonly with these disorders, mm-hmm. Um, But that doesn't mean that we don't have the ability to impact how we feel or impact the anxiety that a lot of people have. Because, again, that's on a spectrum as well. So we want to, a little bit of anxiety actually is helpful for planning purposes. Sure is. If we have none, if we have none, then we just kind of fly by the seat of our pants and we never, you know, plan for anything. So we, we want to have it be so that it is productive and useful.
0: We need to titrate the anxiety. We need to titrate yes. the amount of the sympathetic nervous system going haywire.
2: <laughs> yep. All the
0: things, and then okay. So it, in the some of the research that you gave me, um, uh, you it also mentions that individuals with, with EDS also suffer from gastrointestinal complaints. Is this does this also fall under the autono uh, dysautonomia?
1: So we know that there are. higher prevalence of gastrointestinal problems with people that have EDS than with people who do not. And the most common things that we see are things like constipation and um, early satiety, which is getting full really easily. Mm -hmm. And so um, originally there was this concept of a triad of disorders Mm -hmm. with um, EDS, dysautonomia and mast cell activation syndrome being the most uh, prevalent parts of That. And now we know that GI is such a huge component that some experts are talking about this now as a pentad. And with GI being the fourth problem and the um, uh, autoimmune disorders being the fifth. Now, again, it's really super important for people listening to this if they're like, oh, I think this applies to me. I think this. (laughs) Right. Not everything is going to apply to everyone. Right. And it's we're we're trying to understand as much about this as we can just so that we can treat people as best we possibly can. And so it's important to know that, you know, just because you think, "Oh gosh, I have this one element of this does not mean that, you know, you have you these have disorders." This. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. So are we now saying
0: then that, that gastrointestinal or GI complaints are kind of falling into, we're no longer, it, it, it's not the princess and the pea, it's not the all fours, and it's
1: not the bubble, but something else. Right. And that's exactly, it's, it's a, that's a great um, question that you're asking because GI problems also are super, super common with mast cell activation syndrome mm-hmm. and with dysautonomia. So how do we know if it's a separate thing or right. if it's not? And I think that the group of so so I belong to this group of experts that it's an international group and we discuss de- uh, de-identified, of course, sure. challenging cases and we basically so that we're not in silos. We it's 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 a great forum for for us to exchange ideas and information without having to wait for people to write peer-reviewed papers. Right. And it's of course, you know you it takes a very long time. And, and so clearly there are some patients who present with much more predominant gastrointestinal complaints. Other people that present with much more c- prevalent musculoskeletal complaints and uh, in others, it will be the, um, dysautonomia or the abnormal, um, you know, autonomic nervous system complaints. Right. So it's, it's these, again, I like to think of it as These are passengers that tend to travel in the same vehicle. Sure, (laughs) you know they tend to travel in the same car together. Um, We don't know where that car is heading necessarily yet. (laughs) It's work. Yeah, it's yeah, it's it's a work in progress for sure. Mm -hmm. And the research in this area, or these areas, is really quite rapidly expanding and changing. And the information that we're gathering is really um, it's exciting because I feel like we are going to have more and more. Information, more and more strategies, but there's so many things that people can do that are that they can do by themselves. They don't need a doctor to, you know, like mindfulness. You don't need sure. a doctor to, you know, um, recommend that to you. That's something that that pretty much all of us can benefit from. You know, my, myself included. This is a good reminder right. to myself. <laughs> yes.
0: <laughs> um, I mean, yeah. and furthermore, too, like the things that we can do alone, um, I, I can only imagine, um, give us greater sense of agency, which um, yes. reinforces a whole bunch of positive thinking, et cetera, um, which can only be beneficial.
1: Um, yes, I yes, definitely.
0: I don't want to go away from dysautonomia yet because I feel like we haven't touched on POTS.
1: Right, right. So POTS is stands, it's, it's um, capital P-O-T-S, Postural Orthostatic Tachycardia Syndrome. And that is where a person's heart rate increases quite dramatically when they go from um, laying down to to being upright. And again, when people have that position change, they'll see like like spots in their vision. Sometimes they'll see like the black curtain coming in. Mm-hmm. Um, I know, like back in my mother's generation, you know, she fainted a lot. My grandmother fainted a lot, <laughs> and and they called it the dropsies because they would, you know, they would stand up and And then they would drop. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. And then drop. Right. Um, So, so that is one specific type of dysautonomia, but we also now believe that that is a final common pathway for a variety of different um, things. So I mentioned earlier that some of this perhaps is post viral. So we know Mm. that a number of people who have POTS do test positive for antibodies against these receptors involved in the autonomic nervous system. Mm. And a subset of those people actually do really well if they are treated with um, intravenous or subcutaneous gamma globulin. And so they can benefit from having um, quite sophisticated testing done to look for these antibodies. So these, these disorders can be worked up by a cardiologist or a neurologist is usually... You know who will be doing those kinds of evaluations.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so, but but that's what the POTS specifically stands for, and it and POTS is a type of dysautonomia. Mm-hmm. There are other types of dysautonomia, but POTS is one type, and POTS can be caused by a number of different things.
0: So, um, just just to make sure I understand. Um, you say that you said that POTS can be post-viral so like happen after a virus um and you said that you
1: uh,
0: hmm. so if if it's post-viral does that mean that it's transient that it can go away potentially or am I not getting that correctly So, so
1: so that's a good that's a good point so technically to meet the criteria for POTS it needs to be present for at least six months right okay yeah so if you have if if you have um, influenza A in particular, cause that's worse than influenza B, mm-hmm. B usually. Mm-hmm. So if you have influenza A, you might be really deconditioned because you've been sure. really sick for, you know, and you've had a fever and things like that. So, so, so that's a very good point. So after having influenza A or B, or coronavirus, mm-hmm. you could you could find that yes, you are having more of these of these things. You go from sitting to standing, and you get dizzy quite easily. Or, you know, you find that if, as you stand for a longer period of time, you really just don't feel well, and you have to you have to kind of walk around a little bit, and then you start to feel better sure. um, because that just gets your blood flowing. But but if you have it just in that limited window of time, yes, the chances of it getting better are much greater. Um, if you've had it for like a year after having the virus, then it's, you know, going to be a little bit more challenging, challenging. to treat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, but it doesn't meet the criteria even for POTS until it's been at least six months. So thank you for pointing out that right. very, very important clarification. Great. Awesome. Okay. Let's
0: move on to the boy in the bubble, aka mast cell <laughs> activations. Um, uh, mast cell activation, what's the last word I'm missing? Syndrome? Syndrome. Uh-huh. Right. It's not a disease. It's a Syndrome. Correct. Um, can you talk to us a little bit about um, mass cell activation syndrome?
1: And, and I appreciate you, you actually saying that because that's probably a good thing for us to point out right away is that syndrome just means that these are... Actually, that just means that these are things that travel together. As, as physicians, what we look for are patterns. Mm. And, and like you said, it's as opposed to a, a disease which tends to be something that we can test for more easily. So right. mass cell activation syndrome is, um, and, and even Ehlers-Danlos syndromes, some are diagnosable based on genetic testing, but the hypermobile type, the most common type, is a clinical diagnosis at this point in time. Mm-hmm. We, we, we look for these patterns, but we are not able to test for it. So mass cell activation syndrome, there is some testing that can be done for it. But right now it's mostly a clinical diagnosis most of the time. Mm -hmm. So, so mast cells are cells that are present um, throughout our body and they're present mostly in places where we interface with the environment. So um, they're in our skin, they're in our digestive tract. um, They're the present in the vagina, in the uterus. Um, They are, uh, Cells that are very, very important to react when we're exposed to various different um, pathogens. We just were talking about viruses. Mm-hmm. When we are exposed to a virus, it's normal for our mast cells to be become activated because right. they play an important role in the immune in the immune system. Um, so mast cells are very important when we are exposed to um, different chemicals, and they're an important component of. Um, of of allergies and of the you know um, allergic responses in the body and um, and and things like this. That that said, when they react abnormally, that's when it becomes mast cell activation syndrome. Right. That's when the mast cells are they're like trigger happy, so they they become activated and release their contents much more readily. Mm-hmm. So it could be for a wide variety of reasons, but um, they have a lot of different impacts. So as I said earlier about if you can't connect the issues, think connective tissues. Mm-hmm. Um, that was started by Dr. Heidi Collins, I believe. And it's a similar thing with mass cell activation syndrome, where it's a whole host of things that can be seemingly unrelated that can occur. And I know when I first started learning about these things, I thought, well, gosh, that's just about everything Mm -hmm. and how do you actually decide when somebody has one of these disorders but again it's when it's when it really starts to become a problem you know it's like if you think about OCD obsessive compulsive disorder if you have some if you're kind of obsessive you tend to to be very um, diligent on details and things like that but it doesn't interfere with your life it's not a disorder right if if you have you know a, a little bit of allergies here and there like that's fine but if you're if it's really becoming a disorder or interfering with your life and your mast cells are really just going haywire, it's really become a significant syndrome, then you know that, um, that that's more likely that it's actually a problem. Gotcha. So I think of most things, I think most things in science are on a spectrum. <laughs> yes. <laughs> most things in the body, you know.
0: Right, right. So can you take us through like some examples of signs and symptoms, um, that individuals might experience if they have mast cell activation syndrome?
1: Sure. So we see with, with people that have mast cell activation syndrome that they have, they'll, they'll get flushing. They'll have like color changes. They'll, their skin will turn, um, really red in various different areas. They'll get, their face will become extremely flushed or other parts of their, of their body. Um, they'll get hives. Um, they'll, they'll have You know, not just, you know, oh, a little bit of environmental allergies here and there, but sometimes they'll actually have anaphylaxis, which Mm -hmm. is where, like, your throat starts to close up and you have difficulty breathing. Um, They might have asthma um, and they might have more chemical sensitivities. And, um, you know, again, there's a lot of overlap between these things and the dysautonomia and the EDS, because when you actually look at the symptoms of a lot of these three things, there's, there's a lot of commonalities, but um, because we know that mast cells also are present in um, uh, nerve endings, mm-hmm. so you know, the pain is also another really common symptom of mast cell activation syndrome.
0: Yes. I, I read that. I'm, not, I'm <laughs> talking, going back in the literature. Neuro, neuropathic pain.
1: Yes. Neuropathic pain specifically, right. and also gastrointestinal problems. Mm-hmm. Um, people that have mass cell activation syndrome tend to have, um, sensitivities to a lot of different foods mm-hmm. and they might test, they might get tested for, um, you know, celiac or something like that. Sure. And it comes back normal, yeah. but that doesn't mean that gluten isn't potentially contributing to their symptoms, so sure. um, that's another thing that people can do on their own is, you know, start experimenting with different changes in your diet. And the big thing that I recommend is that people try to eat real food as much as possible, right. whole food, food from farms, not factories. Mm-hmm. Um, I think is you know a good way to think of it is, as I heard Dr. Um, Heather Tick recently state. And that um, because we get exposure otherwise to so many different chemicals that, you know, our grandparents weren't exposed to and our parents weren't even, you know, successive generations are getting more and more exposure to these things. So we want to try to eat, um, you know, whole foods, try to pay attention with a curious mindset, not an anxious mindset, but Mm -hmm. a curious mindset gosh, I'm having a particularly rough day. What did I eat yesterday? What did I do yesterday? You know, just, just to start playing detective a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, And again, that's something that people can absolutely do on their own.
0: Yeah. And it's not a far cry from what, you know, a whole bunch of other clinicians, including myself, ask people to do on a regular basis. What, what was your movement like yesterday? Like, did you walk extra steps yesterday? (laughs) Um, (laughs) Be your, be your own detective. I'm, Uh, a question's coming up for me. So you, you know, I'm going back to this phrase, if you can't connect the issues, think connective tissues, and you're talking about mass activation and, um, you know, anaphylaxis and all this, you know, the flushing and all that kind of stuff. Do you do people get these symptoms um, from the same stimuli? Or can you sometimes have um, a reaction to one stimulus, and then at, at another point, not have that reaction. Does that make sense?
1: I love that question. That Thanks. that's that's a really great question. I I appreciate that important distinction because mast cell activation syndrome. I I'm trying to think of a good way to explain this because this is something I've never explained before. Um, I tend to think of that as again, like I said about the the um, trigger trigger happy kind of a thing. Uh-huh. That tends to be very much in flux. Mm-hmm. And although people with EDS, their symptoms are in flux, I don't think as much so as a mass cell activation syndrome. Um, if you have m- the musculoskeletal components of EDS, for example, you're not going to all of a sudden one day be able to do probably, you know, right. a ton of more exercise than you did the day before Great. without injuring yourself. Mm-hmm. Whereas with mass cell activation syndrome, I think from day to day, there's even much more variability than there is with something like EDS.
0: That makes sense. So in a, in a simplistic answer, perhaps you might
1: be triggered one day, but not necessarily the next. Right. And, and, um specifically about triggers mm-hmm. things that will trigger an exacerbation of EDS symptoms yeah. would include things like like you said did you exercise more than more yesterday than you did today sure. did you do some different movement um one of the things that is uh, that I should have mentioned earlier that's pretty classic for for EDS and again this can happen to quote unquote normal people so <laughs> you know do not panic if this has happened to you but but people will hurt themselves doing really ordinary things. Sure. So you know, of course, we hear all the time people, you know, like quote unquote throwing out their back right. with very ordinary movements, and that's just kind of like part of the part of the aging process, I think. <laughs> but but we also we also know that you know you can be getting up off the sofa or just reaching for something in the wrong way, and if your tissues are more fragile, especially if your connective tissue, your tendons and your ligaments are more fragile, you. You'll get injured doing things like this in a way that people that have stronger tissues, they're just more resilient to those kinds of things. So so that's more of a trigger for the EDS part. Triggers for the mast cell activation syndrome part, um, stress is a really big trigger. Mm -hmm. So this is where it's really important for people to understand, again, about the mindfulness And if we understand like the hypothalamic pituitary axis and understand the adrenal glands and the role that they play in all of these super important hormones in the body Mm -hmm. and activating that fight or flight response, then we realize that the brain is connected to the gut and the adrenals and then those are connected back to the brain. So what we do in the brain is critically important, right? So controlling... We can't control everything that happens to us, but we can control to some extent anyway, how we react to it or at least try to, you know, we can't change yesterday, no, but we can think, okay, going forward or like tomorrow, I'm going to try to react maybe a little bit differently tomorrow than I did the day before right? and be patient with ourselves. That's another super important thing is to treat ourselves with loving kindness Mm -hmm. and self to practice self-compassion mm-hmm. is super important because otherwise we get anxious about being anxious.
0: <laughs> oh, right, and then it just compounds on itself. Yeah. yeah. I mean, ch- yeah. changes like you're talking about, I mean, compounded with um, all the other, you know, potential issues that we've been bringing up in the past, you know, 45 minutes um, is going to take us a, a super long time. And I think, you know, the other thing to think about is, and I I, I'm, I think we'll probably – bring this up towards the end is like a lot of these issues are not simply solved but rather you need to troubleshoot and um, make a plan and then adjust the plan and then the plan doesn't work anymore because your circumstances are different and all this kind of stuff so it's um, I think I've lost my train of thought but practicing resilience and and patience and as you said
1: kindness and mindfulness as well. Yes. Yes. And, um, this might be a good place to bring up. So, so I have EDS Mm -hmm. and I have in my closet a whole slew of braces for like every different part of the body (laughs) that I've been, that I've been prescribed by my physical therapist or my physician, or just tried on my own at different points in time. Mm -hmm. And that's an important thing for people to realize that, yes, like I'll, I'll figure out, okay, this is great. I can do this and I can do this. And now everything is going super well. And then something happens, and I have to adjust my strategies. Right. And yes, people should not panic. Do not, you know, get uh, try as best you can not to get overwhelmed To just say, okay, focus on what you've done in the past that's successful. You know what? I made it through something difficult before. I can make it through something difficult again. Mm-hmm. I just have to change up what I'm doing. The other thing that I really like about a lot of the strategies that, that I use in my clinical practice for EDS Is that a huge amount of it is helpful for non-EDS people as well? Yeah. So it's not like making if you if you self-diagnose and then you start to enact some some of these strategies with with a lot of them, you're not going to hurt yourself. You know, obviously, don't go start you know taking a whole slew of supplements without talking to your doctor. You would never Mm want to do that. That's critically important. But but a lot of these things, like working on on improved sleep. Um, you know, working on on controlling your reactions to stress; these are helpful for everybody. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um,
0: is this a good time now? Did you want to talk about the the musculoskeletal and non musculoskeletal stuff, or do you think this is a good time to ask about um,
1: kind of like the support team for individuals with EDS? I do want to mention one other trigger, if yeah, I could, for myself. Yeah, okay, yeah. okay, a, a couple of them. So so a couple of other triggers for mast cell activation syndrome, um, one is heat. Mm-hmm. So people who, um, you know, they take a shower and they come out and they're like bright red or they take a shower and they get super dizzy. Um, of course, that could be from dysautonomia from standing, mm-hmm. but um, heat is a common trigger of, of mast cell activation. So um, people who have, have that condition, you know, again, overlapping a little bit with the heat intolerance, but but they tend to get in reaction to um, a shower or heat. They'll get this extreme flushing, not a little bit, you know, but extreme flushing. Um, Another thing that they'll react to are what's called excipients. And these are the inactive ingredients, the quote unquote, I'm doing air quotes right, right here. You can't see me, (laughs) Mm -hmm. but I'm doing air quotes um, because these are the inactive ingredients, and medications. And so these things are very, very important. So if you have reacted differently in the past to a generic versus a brand name of the same drug, you can talk to your pharmacist and find out what is different between those drugs. Is it a different dye? Is it a different additive? Mm-hmm. Do they use a different type of capsule? Um, and and I've had patients that have been able to identify a very specific thing that causes them a lot of problems, and when they remove that, then they do okay. much better. Mm-hmm. And another thing I want to mention here, real quick, is that there's also like a threshold effect that uh, we, we call it toxicant-induced loss of tolerance. Mm-hmm. That sometimes people can get into this situation where they have a lot of problems. I went through a phase in my life where I had terrible itching, rashes, hives, eczema, but then. Got, kind of was able to get things under control, heal my gut, started eating better. And now knock on wood, you know, things are much, much better. Mm. So, so that's the other thing is just because you're having this problem doesn't mean that you can, that you can't get it to potentially fade back into the woodwork sure. as you are able to get um, your things. body to tolerate, to tolerate once again, a certain amount of things in, in your environment. Right. That makes sense.
0: Making sure all systems are in check so that can deal with what's coming in. Absolutely. Right. Right. Um, Thank you. Those were really important. Okay. So now for the clinicians out there or the dancers who have just diagnosed themselves. (laughs) I'm just kidding. Um, So if you have a patient who you suspect has EDS, um, and both you and the patient um, need support, um, what now? Like, who should you consider referring out to? You've mentioned... Um, things that fall into many jurisdictions. Um, for example, um, you know, it, the person would potentially benefit from the care of a medical doctor, or and or a physical therapist, and or a mental health counselor, et cetera. Um, so w- what do you, um, what do you suggest as a plan of action?
1: So number one, not panic. Great, because that's yeah, because that's <laughs> you know easier said than done. But definitely, do not panic. Mm-hmm. Um. To me, it's it's one of those things where once you understand your body better, once you have the education and the information, then you can manage things so much better because you know how to give your body the tools that it needs. And you mentioned the critically important pieces of the puzzle. I view this as a triad um, for the team, the medical part, the, the physical part, which involves maybe a physical therapist, maybe it involves a Pilates instructor, maybe it involves gyrotonics, but the, the movement part of it is critically important. Mm-hmm. And then the third part is um, doing whatever you need for meeting your psychosocial needs. So it's having supportive people around you. And that may or may not be your family members, at least not at first. This is These kinds of things can be very challenging on families.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: so it can be very hard for people to understand within the family unit, like what People's what people different people's needs are, sure. and it can be hard for the for the person sometimes to understand why the why their support people their quote unquote support people are kind of burning out and not able to be there for them. So yeah. um, you you need to have find some people that can be in your corner and that can help you work through the things as you figure out what you need to do, and that can involve a counselor or a psychiatrist or you know a wide variety of people, and um, you know. Coping strategies are important for everyone, of course, right? So mm-hmm. learning how to, you know, have a, a more optimistic mindset and things like that can be very beneficial, like checking in with your beliefs, like, am I, are my beliefs valid or are they accurate or not? And some specific things that you that you can do, uh, it's very, very important to have a good primary care provider Yes, and to not be too overly judgmental when your primary care provider, if they don't know a lot about danlos syndrome. So you think, say you think you that you have one of these conditions and you go in to talk to your primary care provider. And if they don't really know what it is, I see all the time people being very um, critical of that individual. And I would really um, remind people that your primary care provider needs to know how to treat pneumonia. And you know, um, UTIs and, you know, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, m- muscular strains and sprains and things like A that. Cacophony so of things, <laughs> exactly, yeah. exactly. So, so the most important thing is, is your primary care provider empathetic, right? Are they, are they, are they curious? Are they willing to get more information and are they willing to refer you to the people that you, that you need? Are they willing to refer you out as, as is appropriate? Right. Because because you may need to see a you know physical medicine and rehabilitation specialist. That's that's somebody who, if you can find, you know, someone in your area who does that, that can be extremely beneficial. Um, in the U.S., it's referred to as PM&R, mm-hmm. physical medicine and rehabilitation. That can be a very um, helpful specialty. Sometimes it could be rheumatology that could be very helpful if if you need a specialist mm-hmm. um, in terms of the mast cell activation type things oh, that can be really challenging because a lot of allergy and immunology doctors are really not very familiar with those. Mm -hmm. Um, So, so that can be, you know, a bit challenging, but there are people out there that definitely know how to treat these things. If you're having more GI type symptoms, gastroenterology can be helpful. Mm -hmm. It can also be challenging because they often, you know, we, we know what we know within a relatively narrow range and, we are in the age of an information explosion. I mean, it is crazy how much, how quickly the information that we have is doubling. I mean, it used to take, you know, like a century and now it's taking, you know, (laughs) uh, you know, like, I think, I I think I recently heard like 18 months. Wow. And in in a certain number of years from now, it's going to be much shorter than that. So it's, it's, you know, if you think of your, your, your doctors are people also, and, most of them are working full-time. They mm-hmm. may be raising a family. Mm-hmm. And so they don't have as much time often to research these things as you do. So you, wanna, you want to approach them with a certain type of strategy that is most likely to be successful. So what right. I tell people is go in there with an. You want them to have an open mind. You go in with an open mind. Right. You want them to not get defensive, you don't be defensive. Because we feed off of each other's energy. We do. You know, so you want to approach them with kindness and compassion and say, you know, gosh, I came across this information. I'm wondering if this could apply to me. I know you probably don't have time to discuss this with me right now, but if you would be willing to look at it, and could we discuss it at the next visit? Right. And they're so much more likely to actually, uh, you know, uh, be motivated, you know, to work with you mm-hmm. if if that's the case. And if you say, how can I help you help me, you know? Right. And there are some um, definite things that I wanted to share. Mm-hmm. There are some excellent resources yes, that are available please. online. Yes. So there's several different organizations that have some really great information. So um, there's an organization called EDS Awareness, and I am um, their volunteer medical advisor. Mm-hmm. And they have um, a lot of webinars. They have tons and tons of webinars available online that are they – they have their own YouTube channel. And if you join live, then you can actually ask questions. In, in many instances, you can ask questions of the person doing the lecture, Um, and otherwise if not, then you can watch these after the fact. If you watch them after the fact, you probably aren't going to get the Q&A, because I think they usually cut off the recording at that point Mm. for for individual people's privacy reasons, but you can still access the recordings online. These are very, very helpful. Um, I'm also the physician director for the EDS awareness CME program, Mm -hmm. CME slash CEU. And this is a program that, um, anybody can go to. It doesn't, you can be a physician, you can be a nurse, you can be a physical therapist, you can be a pharmacist, you can be a lay person, you can be a support person, you can be an RN, an NP, anybody can go and watch some, it's a much more specific set of lectures designed for different Types of um, providers, and this is rapidly expanding. So, if you go on there today, it's going to look very different than if you go on there six months from now. Nice. Um, the, the president of EDS Awareness is incredibly devoted to helping this population of people. And I do want to point out that it's all volunteer um, you know, me, the people who are doing the lectures, um, John Furman, who is the president of EDS Awareness. Nobody is, you know, taking a salary for, for any of this. I just think it's important to point that out. Mm-hmm. Um, there's other resources online that are really excellent. Um, there's a physician that that I um, have worked with a little bit who worked with the, um, she's in the UK, and there's something called the EDS Toolkit. And she's a GP, um, and she actually has EDS, Mast Cell Activation Syndrome, you know, herself. Mm-hmm. And and she developed this outstanding selection of resources that is just, I really like the way it's laid out. It's like different menus and it just provides some excellent information for GPs to be able to access the information that they need, you know, when they need it, like at their fingertips and um, help them to know who to refer people to and what are some basic things that they can prescribe or do or, or, you know that kind of thing. So that's another really good resource. Mm-hmm. Um, the EDS Society um, has some great information on on their website. Um, EDS Wellness has great information on their website as well, and I am also a volunteer medical consultant for that organization. And I try to have links to as much of this as possible on my website also. So I, I try to kind of link out from my website a lot of a lot of things that I think will be helpful for people. And, and I'm always looking for suggestions. So if people come across something or if they say, gosh, would you be willing to add a resource for, you know, dealing particularly with, for example, nutritional approaches that Mm -hmm. you take to these disorders or whatever. Um, so, so yeah.
0: Um, and first of all, what is your website so that we can put it on our show notes? And then second of all, we cannot forget both of your podcasts, which are also super excellent. The, uh, Hypermobility Happy Hour, and then the recently aired
1: Bendy Bodies with you and Jennifer Milner, which are both excellent yes. resources. Yes, yes. I started the Hypermobility Happy Hour with um, Carrie Gabrielson back. Oh gosh, now it's almost a year ago, mm-hmm. and and that was a great a great learning experience. Got to talk to so many great people, and um, and that uh, there's like about maybe thirty episodes of that that's still up. And then I started bendy bodies not too long ago, um, because I wanted to offer some a little bit more specific information for the dance community, but there will also be more general episodes on there also. So we have right now, Jennifer and I are doing a dance specific series. And then there's also going to be some episodes, you know, also with a geneticist and oh, people for, uh, specializing in dysautonomia and things like this. And it's a, you know, I mean, I love podcasts. I I, th- I think you. I I would like to apply for a full-time job just listening to podcasts uh-huh. <laughs> and, and, uh, and producing podcasts because, you know, most of us can, you know, while we're folding laundry or driving in the car or whatever, sure. it's such a great way to learn. It is. And I'll never forget when I first heard your podcast and I thought, oh my gosh, this is amazing. Where, where has this been, you know, all my life? Because Thank it's, you. It's yeah, you 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 um are doing you and Ellie are doing such a great job of getting valuable information into the hands of people you know who really, really need it. And the dance community, I think historically is has is just not served as well as a lot of athletes. I and you know yeah. in 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 particular, if we compare against like professional athletes like like football players, um, uh, they have so many resources at their disposal. They sure do. And there's because there's a lot of other athletes who, you know are just don't have those kind of resources. you know, so um dancers, I think, fall into one of those categories where they, they're it's a very specialized activity that they're doing. Mm-hmm. it It requires incredible athleticism, mm-hmm. artistry, um, physical capabilities, emotional capabilities, oh my God, so and many.
0: Yeah. And support yeah. too. I think a support, support team. Exactly. Yeah? Yes. Yes. Um, Dr. Bluestein, thank you so much. <laughs> that was absolutely, that was really excellent. I'm going to, um, for all of our listeners put all of those, uh, organizations, including, um, links to, uh, doctor, both of Dr. Bluestein's uh, podcasts up on our show notes and then also forever in our resource page. Um, So if you want some information, um, please, we encourage you to check that out. And then Dr. Blussing, is there a way that um, our listeners could contact you if they have questions?
1: Uh, yes, definitely. So the hypermobilitymd.com website is, you know, there's a contact me link there, and I encourage people to sign up for the new for the quote unquote newsletters. <laughs> and 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 I want people to know that you will not be inundated with with emails. You know, I I will be sharing emails when when new episodes are are released, and when, uh, for example, I just I, I'm a co-author on a paper on mast cell activation syndrome that when that becomes available for people to read, I will, you know, share that, um, you know, I, I try to only share emails sparingly so that people are, are getting information when they, when they really want to. Um, but, but I encourage people to sign up for that because that's where they will be able to get information if there's upcoming, you know, webinars or events or other resources and things like that. And they can also email me at either bendy at gmail.com mm-hmm. or hypermobilitymd at gmail.com. Um, so, so yeah, I, and I, I'd love to get feedback on the bendy bodies podcast. So I'm, I'm super excited to be here with you today, Marissa, yeah. and, um, would love to hear from, from your listeners as well. What, you know, what uh what they think.
0: Oh, please. And I actually <laughs> I was um our April episode goes extraordinarily well with your second episode um of Bendy Bodies. So, for those oh. of you who are listening to this, if you listen to my last month's episode, um, on agency in the dance studio i strongly recommend that you go back and listen to definitely both the first first and second and then whichever ones have been released since then um (laughs) but i think they they pair really well together so thank you and thank you moira for your information as well if you're listening
1: yes yes (laughs) (laughs) absolutely she's
0: amazing she's great yeah all right well again thank you so much and um i'm really looking forward to sharing this with all of our listeners Great. Thank you so much for having me, Marissa. I really appreciate it. Of course. On behalf of Ellie and myself, I, Marissa Schaefer, want to say thank you to all of our listeners for joining us on this episode of Dancewell Podcast. Our intro soundscape was composed by the dynamic duo Brendan Barry and Dylan Ezzi, and dancer designer Katie Dean crafted our visual image. To those of you who have made this season possible by contributing to Dancewell, we are infinitely grateful. We wouldn't be where we are without you. Your donations help us to pay for SoundCloud membership, website fees and upgrades, and our recording technology. If you too would like to make a contribution to DanceWell, please follow the link in the description of this podcast to visit our GoFundMe page. We thank you in advance for your support. And lastly, if you like what you hear, we invite you to go to iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud and search Dancewell Podcast to subscribe. You can also view all of our episodes and learn more about this podcast by visiting our website at www.dancewellpodcast.com. If you have questions or want to get in touch, email us at dancewellpodcastgmail.com. At Bye.